Amen. Sylvia knows how to bless us, and that's a wonderful song. I know you were blessed like I was blessed, and Adel was blessed, and I know Randy and Shelley as well, to see Sylvia get up here and give us a wonderful song. And praise God, and we can think about that, and that's really something that we should, as Christians, really understand, is that that is a true statement, that when he was on the cross, we were truly on his mind. Sometimes we can get into songs and get into the word, and we can sense that these are just words, and that's not a word that was just designed to encourage us to feel better. That is the truth, that we truly were on his mind when he was on the cross, going through the agony. We have, uh, I think, a good word this morning. I hope it encourages you like it has encouraged me. Um, I'd like to take a trip with everybody and go back in time a couple thousand years, and we know that at that time that's when the Savior was here on earth. And we have all these scripture references. We have wonderful scriptures that encourage us. But I want you to look around the room this morning and really pay attention. What do you see when you look around? I want you to truly look around and see the different faces. And you'll see male, female. It's wonderful looking around at the the, the faces here. Not so old faces. Uh, Dean, you know, he likes to be young, but, you know. We know the truth, but you know who? That's good. Yeah, but you know when you think about it, who are we? When we look around, you look at the faces and you you see people, ordinary people. That's all we are, is ordinary people, real people with real jobs, real lives, real problems, real issues, real challenges, real lives, real lives. And I love the scriptures. You know, the scriptures are telling us about real lives also. When we think about it, don't we have real lives? The bills are real. The grades are real. The bosses are real. The brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers are all real. They're real to us. Gas prices are real. They're real. When I go to the pump, it's real. Real people, real lives, real stories. Look at Jessica, a real person, a real life, real issues, a real story. And I want you to think about that this morning. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. And I want you to think about the fact that we're going to deal with a real encounter with the Savior And I want you to really think about the fact that this is, and we need to be very, very careful, very careful to understand this is a real story about a real man with real issues, real needs, real desires, real hopes, real aspirations, real person just like us. A real person just like us. There is no difference, guys, ladies and gentlemen. There is not one difference. A real person. And let's read. And as we read, I want you to think about the story and understand this is about a real person, a real life, real issues, troubles, difficulties. And he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, and it was heard that he was home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And one of the other versions says, and then he was speaking and the power of the Lord was with him. The power of the Lord was there. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Real person, guys. Think about it. Real person. Four real people carrying a real person. And being unable to get to him because, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all so that they were all amazed, were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything. Like this. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, encouraging words, encouraging song that we heard that we were on your mind when you were up on the cross. This is before you went to the cross, Lord, and you still had others on your mind. You had this man on your mind, this paralytic. And we pray that today you would bless us and encourage us with your words. And may they touch our hearts and change our lives. And if anyone here has come here through these doors, hopeless, in agony like this paralytic, may they leave home joyful, resurrected in glory, saved by your wonderful grace. And we thank you in your name. Amen. I was thinking about this, and it blessed me to think about before Christ, after Christ. It's amazing how the world goes by that. If you think about it, the history books are written after Christ, before Christ. It's amazing to think about that. Before Christ, after Christ. Let's look at his life before Christ. But first, why is it so important? The Word of God says... In Hebrews, one of our memory class verses, it says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge or reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is what? Is living and active. Living. It's alive. So when we read these verses, they're alive. It's alive when you think about this man. 
And if we go back and think about this man and understand that this man was a man just like we are people. He was a man that had a mother and father. Did you think about that when you? I didn't think about a lot of that until I studied the scriptures and really studied this man. It doesn't tell about his background. It doesn't tell about what kind of life he had before Christ. It just says that, what? He was a paralytic. Well, he didn't just pop out as a paralytic and all of a sudden walk and then get on a uh, a gurney and somebody took him to Christ. No, he grew up. He had a mother and a father. There are mother and fathers in here today. He could have been born a paralytic. Or he could have walked on this earth for a while and then something happened. And I looked up paralysis and it says loss or impairment or ability to move a body part, usually result of damage to a nerve supply. So if something happened to damage his nerves, either at birth or an accident. Real man. Real story. He had a real family. He had a real birth. He was a real person. Let's look at him. What was his life like before Christ? What happened? I could see his mother and father loving him. Loving him. Feeding him. Walking with him. Talking with him. Teaching him. And maybe he didn't get the paralysis until later. Maybe he was a joyful kid. He walked around. And he played baseball with rocks back then. I don't know what they did. But he played. He had fun. He had friends. He went to the park. He went fishing because it was a fishing town. Maybe he fished with his dad. And then something happened. Maybe he fell. Paralysis. Now, parents... They look at their child, their loved one, and they see that their child that they loved and they raised is hurting now. And they don't know what to do. They've called doctors. Doctors have come in and dealt with them, but they can't cure the illness. He's paralyzed now. And now he's sitting there. They're sitting there. Hope's dashed. Lives changed. Is that who we are today? Can we see that? Before Christ, that's who we were. Maybe everything was going great for you and for me. But there was a point when we got to a point we realized something's wrong. Something's missing. It's not working the way we intended it to work. And it stopped working for this man. It stopped working. And you know, when you think about it, he was physically maimed. But do you know that he was also a sinner, like each one of us? And just, I'll read a couple of verses to you in Romans, because I think it's very important to understand that if you go back and you remember what I read, I read that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He said that for a reason. Obviously, he had sins. He was a sinner. And if we go to Romans, you don't have to go there, but in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Are we better than him? Not at all, for we all already charge that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none 
who understands. There's none of us who understands. There is none who seeks for God. We didn't seek for God. He didn't either. He didn't seek for God. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't righteous. All have turned aside to together, and they have become useless. There is none who does good. None. Sinners. That's what each one of us are, or at least we were before Christ, and that's what this man was. Do you have a before Christ? I remember my life before Christ, the battles, the hopelessness, the hatred, the sadness, the unhappiness. I remember it. I remember my before Christ. I remember what before he touched me. And I'm no longer the same. But I remember this man had a before Christ. Do you have a before Christ? Or are you still in the stage of before Christ? Or are you still in that place where Christ hasn't really touched you yet? You know, I fear for people who sometimes, it's, it, I have a come from a life where I truly realized that I was a sinner because I lived a life that was far from him. I had anger, I had hatred, I had all kind of things that caused me to see the depravity of my condition and help me to recognize the Savior better, maybe. I fear for people who had a good life. I do. I fear for people in here right now, somebody in here today that came in and said, well, I'm not that bad. I've done pretty good in my life. Actually, I didn't, I didn't do hardly anything. Well, we don't have the story of this paralytic, guys. It doesn't say that he was a bad person. It doesn't say that he went out and murdered anybody. It doesn't say that he was way out of whack and he was a sinful and he was a lustful person. It says nothing about him said he was a paralytic. He was paralyzed. Well, I want us to all know we all are paralyzed by sin before Christ. All. And I fear for people who live a life where everything is kind of okay. And they look around and say, well, they hear testimony after testimony. And people say, well, you know, Lord, save me from this. I had a bad marriage. I was going here. I was living in sin. And they look and say, well, I am not that bad. Well, I just read you a verse that we're no better than they. And it says that there is none who does good. There is not even one. No one is not guilty of sin. None. And neither was the paralytic. Paralyzed physically. But he was paralyzed also by his sins. Is there anybody here today is still paralyzed before Christ? If you are, listen. There's hope. Praise God, there's hope. Let's move on. And then it says, many gathered, gathered together because there was no longer even room near the door. And that's when it was so crowded because when Jesus came to town, everybody came to see him. Everybody. And if you go back a couple verses, 
I think it's first six in chapter five. It says, and seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. This is what this man did. But it says that they were constantly coming to him. Actually, one verse before this, uh, 34 or 33, excuse me, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse 33, where it says, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And you think about this paralytic when he wanted to come see Jesus. And it says, and the whole city had gathered at the door. It was a busy place when Jesus came to town. It was very busy. But you know what is blessing? Is that this man had friends. He had four friends. Busy, but he had four friends. And who were his four friends? You ever thought about that? Ada was telling me about a song that he heard that one of them was a demonic, possibly. One of them was a blind man. One of them was maybe maimed. and One of them could have been Lazarus. Who were these four men? Four people. Helpers. Maybe they came to the door. Maybe they came to his house and said, you know, your son has been here. And um, we've been watching him. We used to play with him. We used to hang out with him. We'll call him Michael. We used to hang out with him. And you know, Jesus is in town and he healed us. He changed our lives. He gave us a new life. He rescued us. He gave us a new life. And we want to take him to see Jesus. Can we take him? His mother and father is looking at him. They're saying, well, of course. We don't have any more hope in this situation with our son. We don't have any more hope. So what do they do? They actually put him on a gurney. And they take him to see Jesus. And as they're going to see Jesus, what are they doing? I think they're speaking encouraging words to him. They're saying to him, you know, Mike, it doesn't have to be this way. We've lived in sin also. And he healed us. The Savior was in town and he healed us. He gave us a new life. You can have that new life too. Think about friends. I spent time with Dean. When I got saved, somebody brought me to church, but I spent time with him and he answered my questions. And I got saved. How many people were brought here because of friends, helpers, people who said, I am interested in others? Are you a helper? Are you a helper? I remember Don telling me that Stephen and Jennifer just impressed upon him the love of Christ and invited him, Daphne, to church. And they came and they came a couple times and all of a sudden they got saved. Helpers. After Christ, we should be helpers. But you know, it's 
Interesting, because verse 4 says, being unable to get him in because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. They were filled with anticipation and excitement on the way there. And then they came to the door and found there was a crowd and they couldn't get in. And there probably were people who said, don't bring him in. He doesn't want to see a paralytic. He can't save him. Maybe they even said he doesn't save. You're wasting your time. Hinderers. There are hinderers in the church that when people are brought, they hinder the work of Christ. I pray that there's no hinderers in here of the grand work of Christ. There were hinderers there that day, and they tried to stop these four brothers from taking this lost brother to see the Savior. But you know what? They were resilient. They were determined. And what did they do? It says that the crowd was there, but they went up on the roof. Now, I was confused about that, and, and Brother Adel knows. But they went up on the roof. Well, how do you get on the roof in your house? What do you mean they went up on the roof? I'm talking to Adel, and he says, well, me and my uncle, we went up on the roof and actually had a tent. I'm thinking, a tent on the roof? What world is this? I can't put a tent on my roof. Now, I don't know about you, because my roof is... Like a steeple. I'd be rolling off the roof. And I went on the Internet, and I have a picture. If anybody wants to see it, you can come by later. And it shows that on the roof of these places, and still today, the homes are flat on the roof. And they actually have kind of like guardrails. It's like, what do you need a rail around the roof for? So people don't fall off the roof. Why? Because they do work on the roof. They sleep on the roof. They hang out on the roof. And I have verses. Rahab, it says that, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. She had laid some flax on the roof and she hid them on the roof. Well, how'd they get on the roof? And then it says in Samuel, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof and they arose early. And at daybreak, Samuel called to Saul on the roof and says, get up that I may send you away. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And then finally, the verse that was a blessing is in Acts where it says in the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof about the sixth hour to pray. And it says he fell asleep. Well, give me a break. If it's shaped like a steeple and he's praying and he falls asleep while he's praying on the bottom. He's not praying on the top anymore. He's off the roof. But it goes on to say, and while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. It says go downstairs. And I have a picture that shows there's like a spiraling staircase up to the roof. They hung out on the roof. So this wasn't an ordinary, I mean, an extraordinary situation. This actually made sense. They're both, all four of them are kind of looking around saying, well, do what? Let's go on the roof. But I'm telling you something. You had to be a loving Christian, a very, very um, 
dedicated Christian to be willing to take a brother on the roof to get him to Jesus. Because it's easy to go through the front door. Like, you know, I invited them, I called them, and they didn't respond. You know, so I'll keep praying. They could have left him at the door and said, you know, brother, you know, you're going to have to get your way home. Because we took you here, but we can't get in. It's too crowded. But no. They walked up the steps and they said, no way. He saved us. He'll save you. And they walked up the steps and they dug a hole in somebody's roof. Bold, but loving. They removed the roof because they loved him. They sacrificed their life because they loved him. And they believed in the Savior that saved them, that he would save him. They went all the way. Helper. I want to be that kind of helper, guys. I want to be a helper that says, I'll go on the roof and I'll dig a hole and I'll gurney somebody down because I love my Savior, but I love them. Now Spurgeon says about that, he says that they must be men, these helpers, who will not shrink because of difficulty. Who will put forth their whole strength to shoulder the beloved burden. The beloved burden. You guys, praise God for the brothers and sisters here that look upon us as a beloved burden. Not a burden, but a beloved something that really is precious to me. Are people precious to us? Are they beloved burden to bring them to the Savior? And he says, and will persevere until they succeed, who will not give up until they reach the mark. They need to be strong. We have to be strong to do that. For the burden is heavy. They need to be resolute. For the work will try their faith. The work of bringing people to Christ will try faith. They need to be prayerful. They need to be on our knees before God. For otherwise their labor is in vain. And they must be believing. Or they will be utterly useless. They believed that day. Jesus would save this man. And what did Jesus do? As the, 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 the tiles were falling down on his head, because imagine, again, real story, real life, real encounter. It's a real story of a man, a real man, hurting by sin, devastated by sin, paralyzed by sin, with four friends dedicated to get him to the Savior who are beloved friends. And they dig a hole in a roof that's not their roof. And they say, I'll take the consequences later. I'll deal with it later. We'll, we'll fix the roof, guys. But he's more important than the roof. And they dig the hole and they dig and they dig and they dig. And as what's happening? Somebody's digging a hole here, guys. I'm telling you, you're going to see something after a while. It was crowded. You ever been in a crowded room where they're pressing all up against you? They were pressing against Jesus. He was in the center of the room preaching the word, the good news. 
Because that's what it says. He was there giving the rule. He was teaching. Teaching what? The good news. You all can be saved. Just like he did with Lazarus. Rose him from the dead. He said, I'll bring you up from your deadness, your sinful, your wretchedness. You must be born again. He's preaching. And all of a sudden you see a little bit of stuff coming down. They're looking up. He's looking up, smiling because he knows what's happening. Like Sylvia said, when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. When that man was digging a hole, he knew what was happening. He knew what was happening. It was four men bringing a man. He was going to rescue this man and save this man. He knew it. And as the cinders and whatever was coming down, he told them, be quiet. Stop. Don't worry about that. And he kept preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching the word. Because he knew that's why I came to preach the word, the good news. He was given the good news. And all of a sudden, the hole opens, the light shines in, and these men are gurning this guy down in front of Jesus. And the people are looking around like, what is he doing? And Jesus is smiling. He says, thank God for men and women who are dedicated to bringing people to me. He said that. I know he said that. And they laid him before him. And what did Jesus say? And Jesus, seeing their faith, he saw their faith and he saw his faith because his faith saved him. He saw he was a sinner, guys. He recognized his condition as a sinner in need of salvation. And when they dropped him before him, Jesus looked upon the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. That's too easy. I want to talk a little bit. Do we want to talk about it? You don't need to talk about it. Jesus says, I went to the cross and died for your sins, and all you have to do is come and believe and repent and give me your life, and your sins will be forgiven. He said, your sins are forgiven. Immediately. He changed. Immediately. He wasn't able to walk yet because it doesn't say that yet. But his countenance changed. The ugly face changed. The disparity on his face changed. Now there was hope. Now there was happiness. Now there was peace. But you know, it's always those who question it, the hinderers. They're always saying, well, what is that? What are you doing? Nobody can forgive sins except God. Well, hello, I am God. Do you guys get it? They understand nobody can forgive sins except for God. And he's standing in front of them. How many times does he have to stand in front of us before we get it? I want to get saved this way. I want to do it this way. He says, but I'm here. I want to forgive your sins. And all you have to do is just repent and believe. After Christ. Before. This is what his life was like before. The Savior touches him. Your sins are forgiven. The scales have tipped. And when it's after Christ, it's different, isn't it? After Christ. The battle has been won. The man is sitting there 
And he could not believe that he was free of sin. And they have the nerve to say, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right. But they did not recognize he was God. Because God can forgive sins. That same God that rescued this man, that forgave his sins, is the same God that has forgiven our sins if we're born again. Do you have an after Christ? After Christ means that he met you one day. You were dropped in front of him, paralyzed by sin, and he says, I forgive you. This man had that. And after Christ, he was a new man. And it says, immediately aware of the spirit and their reasoning within themselves, he says, why are you reasoning about these things? Which is easier to say to Paralek, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? He says, what are you talking about? What's easier to say? So he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, get up. So that you know that I'm God, get up and walk and take up your pallet. And he did. After Christ, the burden was now lifted. The man was made whole again. And what did he do? He meets his four friends at the door because I believe what happened was is that when he was forgiven and when he was, his paralyzed body was set free and renewed, he stood up in the midst and they looked at him not understanding what they were seeing but amazed. And the people who wouldn't let him in let him out. They let him out. I believe they let him out. They were blown away because this man was truly healed. He was truly regenerated. He was truly forgiven. And he walked out a new man. He had his pal in his hand. He's walking with his head up high saying, I have been redeemed. Thank God. That is the man. Praise God for Jesus. He can rescue you too as he's going out. He's probably preaching. And they open up an aisle, and he walks out the door. And who's there to see him? The four. Those four loyal servants that said, praise God. We told you. I told you. I told you. We told you he would, he would heal you. We told you you'd walk. They were just as happy as he was because they loved him. They loved him. So, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Real lives. Real encounters. What's the big deal looking at our lives? What's the big deal going to the scriptures and looking at the lives in the scripture? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is they illustrate what God can do for us. That's the big deal. The big deal is the same God that is in the scriptures, dealt with real people, in real ways and gave them new lives. The same God that came to this paralytic that freed him from his sins and from his paralyzed position is the same God that is here today. It's the same God. And he says to you and me, this 
Before Christ, before Christ, he was lost. Before Christ, he was paralyzed by sin. But after Christ, he walked in glory. Do you have a before Christ and an after Christ? Or do you just have a before Christ? If you do, it's time to have an after Christ. After Christ experience, you can call it. An experience where you meet the Savior and you lay down in front of him and you say, I came in here paralyzed by sin. I came in here paralyzed by hopelessness, by sadness, by depravity, by lostness. I came in here lost, but I want to be found. I came in here without you and I want to have you. And you lay at his feet and what will he do? He'll just say to you, your, your sins are forgiven. Go home. Go home. And when he walked through the doors and his parents looked at him and they saw that there was a man, their son, is put right. They glorified God too. They were happy, I bet, that day. The after Christ is a happy time, isn't it? It's a joyful time. It's a wonderful time after Christ. After Christ, we get to just well up with joy and peace because we've been redeemed. We've been set free. We have a new life. The paralysis has been removed. We're not paralyzed by sin anymore. Praise God for that. Praise God for that commitment that those four men made also. If you came in here paralyzed by sin, lay at the feet of the Savior today. Just lay at his feet and say, Lord, save me. Rescue me. Forgive me. And he'll say, thy sins are forgiven. But don't say, I don't need it. Don't keep leaving and say, I don't recognize him. Maybe next time. Don't keep doing that. And the, the helpers here, keep helping. It's making a difference. It's impacting people's lives. Read you one more quote. It says, these men could not preach. They did not need to preach. They lowered the paralytic and their work was done. They, they could not preach but they could hold a rope. They could not preach, but they could hold a rope. We want in the Christian church not only preachers, but soul winners who can bear souls on their hearts and feel the solemn burden. Men who, it may be, cannot talk, but who can weep. Men who cannot break other men's hearts with their language but who break their own hearts with their compassion. Four men, four helpers. Responsibility for all of us. If we've truly been born again and we're in the part of our life that's after Christ, let's be a helper. Let's be a good helper. Let's persevere in helping. Let's give our lives to help. Let's die to self to help. That's our purpose. 
That's why God left us here as helpers to do the work of Christ. If you're a hinderer, stop it. Don't hinder the work of God. It is not right, and he will not honor you for that. And if you don't know him today, drop at his feet and say, I need to be forgiven. And he will forgive you today. Let's pray. Lord, it was great hearing the song to begin this message, Lord, the song about when you were on the cross, we were on your mind. We've never been out of your mind, Lord. We're always on your mind. We're always there, Lord, because you care so much for us in spite of us. Help us to keep you on our mind as believers. Help us to be committed to being like these four men, resilient, dedicated, committed, so that other people can see the glory of God and have their lives changed as we've had our lives changed. Help us to be workers, hard workers for Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that came through these doors paralyzed by sin, paralyzed by just a a hopelessness, Lord, that the same God that rescued this paralytic is the same God that's here now saying, fall at my feet and I will forgive your sins. We thank you. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen.